0: A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Burkettle, Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Chapter 21 Andrew Swanner had always wanted to be a hero. He'd read about heroes in comic books, then novels, then newspapers, and finally, on the internet... He had learned that real heroes sometimes went overlooked by the masses. Real heroes could be hounded and misunderstood. Other people might think heroism brought money or women or medals, but Andrew had seen that these were not unifying threads in the stories of all heroes. The one thing, the only thing, that all heroes had in common was that when their moment came, they did the heroic thing. This gave him a faith that carried him beyond everyday setbacks. The police force in his hometown had rejected his application three times. He failed the fire department physical three times. He pictured himself talking to kids in school, telling them about character and integrity. He remembered speakers like this from his own childhood, telling him to stay in school and stay off drugs. He had approached a couple of schools in the area proposing that he could just speak to the class about these things. He had posters made up that he brought in to demonstrate what the talk would be like. But because he belonged to no recognized organizations, hadn't been to the Olympics or in the headlines or made a million bucks in a business, they wouldn't have him. He hated their short-sightedness but rose above it. He never told anyone about the unifying theme to his ambitions, though. As strongly as it guided his actions, he rarely acknowledged it, even to himself. Heroes weren't pretentious. In fact, he had envisioned a hundred thousand times the moment when someone would call him a hero, and he would humbly shake his head and say only that he had done what he hoped anyone would do. And then his moment had come and he found that strange marker from the future. The idea that time travel was real hadn't shocked Andrew for long. He had read about it in many variations on the idea in his life, watched many movies and TV shows about it. He had found the message, delivered it as asked, and then the egghead in the wheelchair had lied to him about it. He came to understand that the man in the wheelchair had betrayed people in the future and was now working against them. That he was trying to bury the existence of the markers so the good people in the future, the ones trying to prevent the great war that would kill so many, wouldn't be able to find allies here in Andrew's time. Allies like Andrew. Nothing stoked Andrew's rage like betrayal. He had been betrayed by his ex-wife and any number of times by his government. While he tried to find solace in his own personal character and the nobility of his personal ideals, it didn't always work. When the people of the future found him, enlisted him, trained him, and told him that he needed to kill Dr. Weldon Qualls for the good of the human race, he was still reluctant even though he knew Dr. Qualls deserved it. But this was only because no hero should be eager to kill. Set against the deaths that he would prevent, Andrew was able to see the greater good. So Dr. Qualls would die, as would the others on the list. Qualls' terrorist field agent, Maria Kerrigan, her partner and probable lover, Leah Carty, and his next target, a chemistry student named Skye Sibelius. This one had been the most troubling because the evil she was destined to cause had yet to manifest itself. Yet he had been assured it could not wait. He had been instructed to deal with her even before Dr. Qualls, but his weakness had delayed him as he struggled to hold the righteousness of his actions in his mind. Kill one, and save millions, he would repeat to himself. Millions against one, Millions against one. He had botched his mission with Dr. Qualls. While he had succeeded in eliminating the target, he had lost his book. He had sobbed that night, smacked his own face dozens of times, screamed, drank, passed out, and woke up alone and filled with self-loathing. They had given him instructions for this contingency. He had to shift mindsets now from predator to prey. He had to cover his tracks, prepare to send a report to contact in the present time, Mr. Kazlick, that he would not be able to re-deliver the book this time. He knew Mr. Kazlick would be upset, but killing Skye would surely get him back in good graces. He didn't need the book for that. He remembered exactly how to find her. He set out along the highway, thumb pointed at the road, preparing to head west. This would cover his mistakes, put everything back on track. Finding the marker had been a million to one coincidence. Andrew had known that right away, which made it so right that it would fulfill his purpose. Millions against one, millions against one. Cars growled by in the night. One pulled over to pick him up. Andrew rode in pleasant silence, closing in on the sky. An ironic name, he thought, because there was one other common quality to heroes. They got to ascend to heaven. Maria had stolen a plane. Poor Albert. For a while, he had called to her on the radio. At first, in official tower speak, but then with quieter, sadder personal appeals. Maria, uh, don't want reports on you, but, uh, he wheezed, buzzed his lips, then fell silent. Maria couldn't answer him. She ached to tell him that she was sober and right that this wasn't a stunt, but she knew she couldn't start without telling him everything. She and Leah had returned home with the strange book left behind by Dr. Qualls' killer. Much of it was in Russian, preceded by multiple warnings that this portion was not to be read by others, lest it cause pollution in the timeline. The other half was in English and was addressed to our soldier Andrew. Maria and Leah's own names were in this section, along with another, Skye Sibelius. They had reached Skye, found her enrolled at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, and still alive, despite the fact that she was at the top of the list of targets. They didn't know how long they had to reach her, which to Maria was reason enough to steal a plane. She and Leah didn't give one good damn about timeline pollution and used their computer to try to translate the Russian half. It talked about the future, specifically about one man's future. He wasn't named in the book, but it read like a long letter to himself, mostly in Russian. It included personal details, as if whoever it was needed to prove it was himself writing. It talked of amassing wealth, conquering enemies and a scheme to make brain implants ubiquitous in the human population. Only not for their benefit, but because of the power it would confer upon him as the master of a lethal virus that affected those implants. It talked about mistakes, about revisions and strategy. The son of a bitch, Maria had said. He gets to just do this over and over again and win more and more each time. Already the future looked dark, though apparently there were people fighting back and they were the ones who had enlisted Maria. It was a small relief to have confirmation from such a monster that she was on the right side. I bet our soldier Andrew never even translated this stuff Just like a good little servant, Maria said, tasting acid in her mouth. All that was even more reason to steal a plane. Leah had accompanied her to the airport, where Maria said she needed to get things from her locker. Leah, who had needed over a year of therapy just to face the normal world after the horrors her husband had put her through, was willing to follow Maria out to face this murderer. And that was Maria's ultimate reason to steal a plane. To leave Leah behind. Maria? There was her voice replacing Albert's on the radio. Maria's chest heaved hearing the voice. She knew the princess so well, could recognize her uncertainty over whether it was proper to be talking into the tower microphone. Before long, she would be out of tower space. But she was staying low and plotting a course to duck in and out of the space of the towers between Laconia and Michigan. The Cessna had long-range tanks on it for training. Ann Arbor was just in range if she stayed over the lakes and flew at optimal speed. She knew the plane well. About 115 miles per hour would be right. Six more hours, give or take, and she'd be there. Her hand was steady on the stick, surgeon steady, top of her class. All she had to do was not answer Leah, and then nothing could stop her from this mission. Maria, please. Maria begged for the voice to distract her. The drone of the sky filled her ears like a rushing ocean, and she tried to give herself over to the peace that she had always told herself she would get up in the clouds. From her first dream of flying, it was what she'd wanted, to be up there and away from the sounds below. Maria? Maria squinted her eyes shut, made a growling cry, and thumbed on her radio. Hey kid, I'm going to drive after you. Princess, I don't think that's a good idea. It's Leah. I want you to call me Leah. Maria was struck by the resolve she heard. The realization of how belittling her pet names could be hit her like a punch. Right, okay, Leah, sorry. She mashed her teeth together to stop herself from adding kid to the end of that. Leah... Maria said, staring ahead into a setting sun she was chasing, prolonging. I put a brochure in your jacket pocket. It's for a little place that rents cabins in Maine. Nobody else has seen it. Only you and I know about it. You ought to get yourself there and wait this out for a few days. This isn't fair. I want to help. I can help. There was a long silence. You've been helping all the way, rooting for me to go right, reminding me when I'm going wrong. Be strong. Leah, I don't know anybody else as strong as you. Maria's voice caught as she said this. Only when the sentence was already halfway out of her mouth did she realize how true it was. But for what I'm probably going to have to do, Maria said, I don't want you within a thousand miles of it. Get to the cabin. Be safe. Be a thousand miles away when I do this. Don't see me do this, she finished, almost begging. Dark, shameful feelings flooded her heart as she switched the radio off. The sunset was still ahead. Black waters were underneath. Swanner had some emergency cash from his partners and he never spent a penny on any personal luxury. He knew they had means, but was dutifully frugal nonetheless. It comforted him as he reviewed his performance on the previous mission. Nothing played out as perfectly as it did on paper. You need to plan for contingencies, prepare to respond for a fluid situation. Cash made that easier. His responsibility with cash would mean more success in the long term. The driver who had picked him up hadn't spoken much. They had listened in silence to some podcast where writers and thinkers talked about what the future would look like, about scientists and politicians and charities and churches working to make it better. Their voices were quiet and sober, imitations of intimacy in front of some hip curtain of music. Andrew chuckled a few times. It sounded like brainwashing to him. A comforting trance of optimism. Trust the brainiacs. Part of him wished the driver would ask what was so funny. Part of him imagined saying that he knew more about the future than any of those great people, and that he was going to do more to help. Not that it was a big deal just doing what anyone would do. Maria was caught. Freak luck. Maybe a Coast Guard boat patrolling the lake. Maybe even a civvy. Someone had called it in. But now the FAA was calling, and she couldn't just fake a broken radio and play for time. She had no flight plan filed, and she was obviously flying evasively. The spectrum of possibilities for what she was in their eyes probably started at drug smuggler and ended at mass murderer-to-be. They were going to be coming for her. She'd get warnings, though. You could count on America for that. In these situations, they wanted to give you every possible chance to change your mind. She'd be painted soon, then either escorted down and surrounded by guns or shot out of the sky. They would know where the plane came from. Albert would be questioned. She remembered her silence to him, remembered the last impression he'd had of her. She thought about how the government would punch her name into their computers and what they would find. A troubled veteran a drunk recently released from prison. The story would be a sad one. She was a hero, and yeah, she stole that plane, but she really only hurt herself, nobody else. She might even get the military honors at her funeral because they would feel guilty about the image of another broken veteran. She wondered who would get the folded-up flag. The solution to the situation was obvious. What would that Maria Kerrigan do? The fuck up. The drunk. She checked her position relative to the shore. It was freezing outside. Close to the shore, the surface would be frozen solid. Just what she needed. She took a moment to psych herself up. She'd never crashed a plane. Everyone had scares. Malfunctions were a mathematical fact after enough hours on the stick. But she'd never been in a real crash. She treated her planes better than she treated herself. Unconsciously, she patted the ceiling of the cabin. Then she reached out and cut the engine. Something caught her eye in the other seat a book. The book. Confused, she patted her jacket pocket. The book was still there, like the end of a funny magic trick. She pulled it out and looked at it. With the engine off, the only sound was the wind. She put her copy back in her pocket and picked up the new one. A note slipped out. Maria, I have given everything to try to get this message to you, and you will never hear from me again. From where I am now, history says you are about to die. Whatever drove you to steal that plane, it must be secondary. You have one final mission. You must survive to take it. You do not need to kill anyone or blow anything up, but if you succeed, it can change everything. I have a good friend who has worked so long to convince me to seek something other than the hard solution, the direct solution. His ideas were appealing, but deep down, I never trusted that they would work for anything serious, not for real problems. For real problems, you needed to be cold and relentless. That's what I believed. I was wrong. What you need to do is both simple and difficult. It will seem to go against your nature, but we are out of time, and you are the only one who can do it. You don't need to hurt anybody. You just need to distract someone. It went on to describe what needed to be done. The note's author was right. The plan outlined there seemed ludicrous, not even possibly workable, She was chasing a man who was being ordered to kill and not ask questions. Although she hated death, she understood that he needed to be stopped. But this? Her eye caught the altimeter, which was gradually dropping. She remembered what the note said about how she was about to die. The note was signed, Josh Scribner. At last, she had a name for who had set her fate along this path. Where might she have ended up if she hadn't found his first marker? Thanks for the heads up, Josh, she said, and tilted, letting the plane go into a spiral. It didn't take much at all. She thought of one of her stock phrases for reassuring students. It's all stick and rudder at the end of the day. Calmly, the whole planet twirling around her, she reached for an emergency chute. She also took off her boots. Just in case she was wrong about that ice, she didn't want to do any more sinking than necessary. She had a mission to live for right now. Andrew checked into a motel, a thrifty one near the campus. It was too late to make a useful search for his quarry. He watched some television, spent some time doing a blend of stretches and kicks until his breath huffed. He hadn't been in many physical confrontations, but surmised that between his strategic mind and others' natural underestimation of him, he could surprise people. He ordered a pizza and only left the room to cross the highway to the liquor store for a six pack of beer he drank half the pack and ate half the pizza humming to himself finally drowsy he slipped under the covers taking a wad of tissues with him he imagined college students pretty ones two of them Maria wondered who Sky Sibelius even was. Would she be a great scientist? A politician? A superstar singer? Whoever she was, all her potential was ahead of her and made her worth killing. And Maria? Maria had no idea what the future held or if she was even alive, but she had a new mission now and needed to forget Skye. Josh Scribner hadn't even mentioned her in his note. Sky Maria thought, if you do get blessed with a new guardian angel, I promise she'll be a trade-up from me. Freezing and alone, she wadded up her chute and tossed it into the hole her Cessna had punched in the ice. And then she tossed her driver's license. History said she just died after all. The remains of her Cessna were sinking already. She started trudging away long before it slipped under the water. Lando Maddox, she thought. You needed a real effort to crash them. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Learn more about the novel by visiting www.sicknessintime.com. If you've read A Sickness in Time, please leave a review in Amazon, Goodreads, or other book review sites.